0: Hello, I'm Eric Holdeman, and this is Disaster Zone, a podcast about emergencies and disasters of all types. Disaster Zone will bring you interviews with people dealing with all aspects of disasters, from what causes them to how people and organizations are dealing with their impact. Here's today's program. This podcast is being sponsored by Dynamis, a leading provider of information management software and security solutions. You can find them at dynamis.com. Welcome to the Disaster Zone podcast. With me today is Charlton Evans, and State Solutions, a company that specializes in helping organizations obtain certification, and implement and maintain drone programs. We will be discussing many different aspects of implementing a program and current status of drone operations here in the United States. Welcome to the show, Charlton. Thank you so much, Eric. Great to hear your voice again and be back engaged with uh,
1: the disaster zone. Glad to hear you're keeping up with it so well in these crazy times, and I'm happy to be a part of it today.
0: Yeah, and we've done a couple different things in the past. both. Uh, I think we had a workshop once that you attended and presented at, and we also uh, did a webinar with you at one point. So, good good to have you with us. And for the audience, I call Charlton the drone whisperer. So, he, <laughs> he's the guy that can help people establish and operate uh, a drone program, do it uh, according to Hoyle, which is not easily done. So, why don't we get right to it? We um, got a number of questions here. Carlton. So 2020, uh, you talk about there being comfort and chaos and dealing with ambiguity. What, what do you mean by that?
1: Yeah, indeed. So, uh, this year has been insane for so many people in so many different ways. And, uh, we, we have been blessed to be able to prosper in all this chaos. And I think part of that is because there's a degree of comfort that me and my team has in the ambiguity. Um, When you go into a certification process with the FAA, it's frequently very prescriptive, meaning there's a set of rules. You have a product. You go apply the rules to the product, and out the other end comes a certified uh, aircraft that everybody feels is safely designed and is going to be safe for its intended purpose. With the UAV world, the flip side of that is that there's a lot of ambiguity in the design versus the regulatory structure. So it's not as prescribed. It's actually a bit chaotic at times as we divine which of the rules actually apply, which ones we have to change, if we've got to do any waivers or exemptions, and then ultimately navigate that in negotiation with the FAA. So that kind of ambiguity can scare a lot of folks, particularly folks who are comfortable with the prescribed process uh, and navigate, navigating the regulatory world that way. So our team is different in that we're pretty happy with the ambiguity. We understand the basis of the rules very well. We understand the language of the FA, and we understand how to make the two work together to get the product through the process.
0: Yeah. Doesn't ambiguity give some flexibility then? Isn't it a benefit?
1: It somewhere? does, unfortunately, it, it does. I mean, there, there is, it's truly, the, the FA will always tell you that, hey, we're happy to hear your approach. If you've got an alternative means to comply with these rules, we're happy to hear that alternative means. However, comma, know that there is a rule. So it's the regulations that are uh, very, I guess, structured. So there's less ambiguity in the regulations and there's gotta be more ambiguity in the approach to meet the regulations.
0: Okay, all right. Well, we need experts then like you, I guess, to help us. So. What, what's the next big challenge for um, drones? And also um, UAS, I'll let you, we're, we're acronym free. So UAS stands for?
1: Right Unmanned Aerial System. Okay, which? Which of note includes not just the aircraft, which everybody thinks of the drone, but there's a ground control station and there's a communications link and there's you basically you rip the the cockpit out of the airplane so now it's a system from from ground up.
0: Okay and you identify the big challenge for UAS as being people are still in the loop.
1: Right right all this autonomy has has, uh, really enhanced safety in many ways and as the reliability the basic design reliability of the systems goes up uh, across the board We see fewer and fewer of them sort of randomly falling out of the sky. And the ones that we're pushing through the certification process will be as safe or safer than any of the aircraft designed to carry passengers today. But at the end of the day, there's still a human somewhere in that loop, be it in the manufacturing side or on the operations side piloting these aircraft or being involved in the pilotage of these aircraft that's both responsible for how that system is employed, and also has the greatest chance of creating, um, I guess, maybe errors is the is the wrong word, but along the manufacturing process, if th- something doesn't get assembled properly, or in flying and operating the drone, um, there is always gonna be somebody in, for the foreseeable future who's designated as the pilot, and that might take different forms, but that person has gotta have some aeronautical adaptability and understanding of the airspace um, so that they don't create a hazard in the way that they
0: operate the system. Now, if you think about commercial airplane crash, whatever, you know, the first thing, I, I'm sure aircraft investigators have a more methodical look at it, but as lay people, we, we always wonder, was it mechanical or was there a human error in, involved? And uh, a lot of times it, it is a human error, that, especially in smaller planes that when yeah, I read the yeah. reports about it, um, it's a human Indeed. error.
1: Indeed. Yeah. And and even when it uh, starts as a mechanical or a software or a, uh, automation error, yeah. ultimately we rely on that pilot to fix that. So even when it starts that way, if it's not purely pilot error, it often gets attributed to pilot error because the pilot didn't, you know, to his part to backstop the system. Took,
0: took the wrong course of action. Yeah, direction. yeah. So uh, how long are we going to have to depend on this human element for drones? Where, where do you think we get to fully autonomous? Uh, is, that, is that around so, the corner or is that down a couple blocks?
1: I think from a technology standpoint, it's around the corner, but I, I really think the driver is not maybe what people assume it to be. I think the design assurance level of the systems, both mechanical and software wise, is really where the challenge is. Um, there are plenty of drone systems out there today that operate effectively autonomously or can operate autonomously. Yeah. Um, so it's not that far away from a, from a possibilities perspective, but having that autonomy integrated into the national airspace in a way that works seamlessly and doesn't interfere with the way the system operates now, which is very, very safe, that's going to take some time.
0: Okay. All right. Well, I, I, we've talked previously that the drone of today has to meet all the same qualifications as a commercial aircraft because it's flying in the same airspace. If I'm Absolutely. And
1: those are the rules that are going to be, yep, you got it. And, and those, those are the rule sets that will be applied. So, uh, it isn't a matter of cheating or cutting the corners or changing the rules to make it easier. It's a, it's a matter of ensuring that the systems that are designed and certified meet the rules. Okay.
0: All right. Um, Well, another question here, and this, uh, again, I'm, I'm, going off things we talked about in advance uh, here doing the recording, but you mentioned Silicon Valley meets the FAA and uh, <laughs> you say fail fast and iterate versus get it right the first time. Um, why don't you talk about that? one? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So we have some clients from down that way and they're super, super smart folks, very <laughs> aggressive, very uh, intelligent. they They made great strides in the autonomy and the systems are, I I can only say, elegantly designed. I mean, really, really slick, um, both in in the mechanical design and in the operations design. They've got systems that uh, you basically, as the human, launch it and it goes and it does what it's supposed to do and it comes back. And there's very little opportunity for error and it does what it's designed to do. That said, when we enter into the certification process with the FAA, they still are on a, almost a, it's a cultural path to keep iterating on the design to make it better because that's what they do and that's how they got where they are. Uh, and that works as long as you're in, a, in an environment that doesn't require you to, quote, certify, unquote, the system. Once you enter into a certification conversation or, or a certification project, then there's got to be some kind of a lockdown that occurs in the design so it can be assessed. Yeah. And it's not a moving target. And that's really hard for for the tech world to do because they're always iterating. Um, It can really gum up the gears a little bit as you get further into the certification process, because um, it's not just in design that we see this uh, cultural uh, desire to fail, fail faster. And, and, and certainly, iterate faster, it's in the manuals and the documents. And if you try to iterate quickly with the FAA, be it on design or on the manuals, um, what you can do is get so far inside their, their, and I I want to avoid the acronym, but it's the OODA loop. (laughs) I don't remember what it stands for off the top of my head. But if you get inside the FAA's loop so far, so fast, that you're three iterations into a document that they haven't really uh, given a good look at, it kind of can bring the whole thing to a, to a stop. So that's a, that's
0: a risk. So um, who do you think is going to adapt first? Will the FAA eventually adapt to this new technological world and innovation cycle? Or do you think the Silicon Valley is going to have to, you know, put it back into second gear in order to get across the, the finish line?
1: Uh, well, there'll be a little give and take, but uh, the federal regulations um, will, at the end of the day, uh, be a forcing function. It's, it's not just a class of culture, which is there, and we can navigate that. That's communications and collaboration. But ultimately, the, the FAA is beholden to the Department of Transportation, and if you want to change a rule, it's got to go be through the approval process within the FAA, and then go to DOT, and then go to the Federal Register, Um, to be published for public comment and then come back as an approval. So that process is written in law. And and there's there's no shortcuts.
0: No shortcuts.
1: Right. And that's what keeps the system safe. So I don't really have a problem with the certification process being paced, if you will. Okay.
0: All right. Next topic. Uh, What good looks like? I, I, I think that's probably me. I, I at, what, <laughs> <You> <laughs> look good. You do look great today. Yeah. I wish our audience could see you. <laughs> yeah. So what, what good looks like?
1: Well, it kind of comes back to that cultural approach where the FAA has an idea of what good looks like after having done this uh, certification thing for some years. Um, and again, our, our clients don't always necessarily know what um, a flight manual or a maintenance manual or a maintenance process looks like from the FAA's perspective. And they may or may not know how to communicate what they're trying to get done to the FAA in an effective manner. So it's really, it's almost like speaking a language. And if you wanna convince the FAA that that your thing uh, is elegant and works well and works all the time, then presenting it in a way that's digestible in their terms uh, is a good start at that. And if you don't, it just creates friction.
0: All right. So, so examples you're, are, you're really not a drone whisperer. You're an FAA whisperer.
1: It's a bit of a translator role, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so the client says, we, we say, this is our thing. And the FAA says, that's an interesting thing. Nowhere along the way, did you say airplane? So we're not sure what we're talking about here.
0: <laughs> yes. Um, okay. But I, um, is good also include perfect? You know, I would think. No, FAA. no,
1: absolutely not. And there's there's an understanding on the, on the FAA side that, that the design will be iterated upon and, and that improvements will have to be made and discovery will happen along the way on both sides of the fence about what needs to be changed. So there is an opportunity for iteration. Um, it just has to be communicated properly. Okay,
0: well, and we all know how Communications is key to so many different things. Well, listen, folks, we are going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsor, and we'll be right back. This podcast is being sponsored by COBRA, an emergency management software solution. COBRA provides a cloud-based EOC software that is intuitive, collaborative, and affordable. Visit COBRAsoftware.com. Well, welcome to Disaster Zone Podcast. And today, my guest is Charlton Evans uh, with N State Solutions, and we've been talking about drones, uh, the FAA, Federal. Uh, who is the FAA? <laughs> the Federal
1: oh, Aviation Administration. Administration.
0: Thank you. <laughs> I mean, you get used to speaking in acronyms and uh, you don't know. So, Charlton, while we pick up where we left off, we got a few more questions to go here. Uh, ConOps, that's, that's a term I'm very familiar with it's from the military, is, is the concept of operations, is how the system, you, you talk about how it meets the environment and uh, what's the environment you're talking about?
1: Yeah, well, there are a couple of different definitions of environment that, that work their way into this particular context. So when we talk about con, con, con op or concept of operations, it really is a description of the system how you're going to employ that system, and the details of the environment that you're going to employ the system in. So there are different classes of airspace, there are different weather categories, all of those things uh, drive either equipage or design in order to meet that environment in a safe way. And the translation between that environment and the design are the regulations. Easy example is you want your thing to fly at night, no problem. There is a rule, it's 91.205, or 14 Code of Federal Regulations, 91.205, that says you have to have lights, and those lights have to be a certain color. And then it'll even drive down into an advisory circular that's an interpretation of the rule that says, by the way, we this is the rule, and this is the kind of lighting that we expect to see when you present us your lighting system to meet the rule.
0: Yeah, how how far away it has to be visible, the brightness, all that.
1: Right, right, all that stuff. So the concept of operations really should define not just the system, and it should do a high-level, sufficiently detailed definition of the system so that the audience can understand what kind of a system it is and how it's constructed. But then it should also very clearly uh, draw out exactly what types of environments the system's gonna have to operate in to be an effective tool or or an effective product for that particular manufacturer
0: and or operator. Okay, do we have all weather system drones today?
1: There are, I mean, at the end of the day, all weather is a pretty broad term and mother nature always gets a vote and if she wants to, we'll win. Um, but that said, there are systems that are designed to uh, handle more weather than others. Uh, icing is always a challenge, particularly s- for small airplanes. And uh, to my knowledge, there isn't a system out there. Certainly, that has been certified to fly in known icing conditions. Um, but there are systems that uh, can handle uh, rain, high winds,
0: et cetera. Okay. All right. Well, we were talking about this a little bit already, I think, but this aspect of a drone as an aircraft and the aircraft standards apply and what's the necessary paper trail that comes with that?
1: Yeah, well, um, so that's where some of the ambiguity comes in because um, the federal aviation regulations are uh, chunked up into parts. And if you want to you want to go out and certify a transport category airplane, there's a part, it's part 25. Go out and look up 14 CFR part 25 and see if your proposed transport category product meets those rules. If it does, you're going to get certified. It may take some years to demonstrate that. And there's a whole litany of of paperwork that is um, a part of that process certification plans and conformity plans, and it covers both the the design and the manufacturer, which are separate certifications. The type certificate is the uh, certificate you get at the end of the design approval process, and the production certificate is the certificate you get when you've demonstrated that your
0: manufacturing process
1: can be certified.
0: Okay, and if all I want to do is fly my drone, (laughs) does that apply in there?
1: No, I mean, all these uh, commercially available uh, products are um, designed to whatever standard they want to be. And that's because you're not using them. And you can go fly that because you're not using it for a commercial purpose. As soon as you want to go make money with your kit, that's where the the line is drawn.
0: Okay. So if a hobbyist versus a professional and as you would say, commercial use.
1: Yeah. And even, even hobby income. So that's kind of, um, part 107 is a a rule within the the federal regulations that describes that first level of commercial use of a drone so it it lists out the pilot qualifications and the equipage qualifications and the operational constraints under which you can go buy an off-the-shelf drone and go fly it for commercial purposes even if it's a hobby purpose if you're creating revenue then that's a commercial purpose and it falls under part 107. If you wanna go beyond what part 107 permits, that's when we start talking about type and product and type and production certificates for the designs.
0: Okay, well, last question here and and that has to do with, um, are you the manufacturer or the operator? And, you know, talking about that, you, were saying, you know, are you Boeing or Airbus or are you Delta or United Airlines? What? What's the issue there
1: yeah or, or Alaska, right yes. so yeah the uh, this is an often misunderstood element of of uh, certification, so um, I'll just use uh, part one thirty five is a good example so if if a company wants to do drone delivery, for example, and you can see some of the approvals that will come out recently very limited but but so by that be like a- approvals.
0: Like a package delivery
1: using a drone. Exactly. Exactly. If you want to do package delivery and you enter in with the FAA to certify your equipment, uh, get a type and production certification on the equipment, on the drone and the UAS, the entire system, that's one thing. But there's another certification on the operation side that you need to actually go do the operations. And that's a Part 135 certificate. So That's separate, and it talks about the training required and the personnel required and exactly how you do your operation. And it assumes that you're going to have a type-certified piece of equipment to do the operation-certified 135 operation with. Um, The difference is Boeing makes airplanes. They're a manufacturer. They sell those airplanes to Delta, Alaska, others that are operators, and they operate under Part 121 as air carriers and Boeing builds part 25 aircraft under the transport category for aircraft. So a drone manufacturer often does not understand that even if they want to both design and operate for delivery, they've got to get two certifications and those two houses are really, there's almost a church and state separation between the two, the manufacturer does not have the same responsibilities as the operator and the operator cannot assume the
0: responsibilities of the manufacturer. Okay, so this is not a question <laughs> we wrote down, but it stumped Charlton <laughs> time. So who do you think, which, which um, major package deliverer company, certainly Amazon, I've, I've written about this, it's been a while since I've had a drone blog post on, on this, but they've been working on all sorts of different concepts in the past, but uh, I know UPS is another big delivery company that's working on drones. So who's gonna be the first one large package deliver to be certified nationwide to deliver packages, do you think? Mm, nationwide,
1: boy, that's a horse race. Uh, I, I agree with you that Amazon has made great strides and so has UPS. Uh, They're not the only ones working on it um, from a, from a purely um, gravitas standpoint, I would, i probably put my money um, on UPS by, by a, by a neck. And the reason I say that is because um, they really have put forth the effort on the, the operation certification side and they have so much experience in that, that, even, even if Amazon um, runs neck and neck with them, ultimately, I think they've got higher motivation to make the nationwide delivery uh,
0: a thing. Okay. All right. Well, listen. That's my this, guess. We'll yeah. revisit in a year. <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> I'll make a note to check in with Charlton. Um, so it's been great. Charlton, I just want to say thank you to Charlton Evans, CEO of N State Solutions for being a guest here on the Disaster Zone podcast.
1: So happy to have been here. Always interesting to talk to you, Eric. You've always got great questions and uh, happy to try to be stumped again in the, in the immediate future if you come up with some more.
0: Okay. That's, that's terrific. So I hope everyone listening today came away with some good ideas for approaching the implementation of a drone program for their organization. And maintaining it going forward. And, uh, you know, we've got to adhere to the rules. So lastly, a reminder to everyone, be safe. Think about what you can do today to become better prepared for the next disaster. And perhaps it means implementing a drone program to enhance your ability to do your job, whatever it is. And thanks for listening. Tune in again soon for another edition of Disaster Zone. And bye-bye. Thanks for listening to today's Disaster Zone podcast. Tune in again soon for more information on all aspects of disasters and what people and organizations are doing about them. You can also check out the Disaster Zone blog at www.disaster-zone.com.